We're in 2 Timothy. It's a four-chapter book. <clears throat> Paul is handing off to Timothy um, the reins, if you will. Next chapter, chapter 4, will be, in effect, Paul's swan song. But here we are in chapter 3. We left off chapter 2 with a battle cry. Remember 9-11, remember, remember Pearl Harbor, remember Lusitania, remember the Maine, remember Paoli, remember that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. A difference between remembering and knowing. I know that he rose, but when I remember, the Bible definition of remember is to take action. couple of other reminders. Paul talks to Timothy, says, oh, Timothy, a moment of endearment. He says, guard the deposit entrusted to you, which is a little bit more difficult than one of Jim Kreider's favorite verses. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's warning him of all these things that are about to come that are already there. 1 John tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is already among them, 90 A.D. So here we are many, many years later. And the outline that we've been using for 2 Timothy has been the, the, the list of imperatives. And here we are in chapter 3, and the first bullet with the arrow says, recognize the spirit of the age. So the first question I have for you is, are we in the last days? Could be, okay? This know that in the last days perilous times shall come. How do we know that we're in the last days? It's one day closer than yesterday, somebody else? We're in perilous times, okay. Somebody else? What are some of the signs of the times? I'm thinking Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. What are some of the things that Jesus talked about? This is, well, that's 2 Timothy, right? He's talking about wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places. There's an interesting list. I don't know if you, could, you can't read it from the back. You need to move forward, okay? The Bible tells us there'll be many deceivers, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax worse. Wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations, earthquakes, and fearful events and signs from heaven. That hasn't quite happened just yet. But nations perplexed. What about our nation? Are we perplexed or what? Okay. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Now, 2 Timothy takes these global things and comes up with some personalized one. Bob mentioned disobedient to parents. The word individualistic, I'm going to use the word individual and individualistic. Individual in the sense that these things appear within individuals, but then also the word individualistic means self-centered. So 2 Timothy, we're going to have the list up there, then we're going to come back. 2 Timothy says, people will be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You could read faster than I can talk. And so we're talking about the signs of the times. We're going to come back to this particular slide, by the way, so there's no, there's no race on the words. There's a problem with that particular picture, and the problem is this. 
I don't believe we have that much time left. I think we might have just a little bit of time left. But when we think of the end times, what is the purpose of a sign? To warn, okay, somebody else. What is the purpose? If I've got a sign that says, you know, eat at Joe's, what's the purpose of a sign? To warn is one purpose. Somebody else? Persuade, okay. Direction, okay, let's take a look. What's the purpose of this sign? Warning, okay, we heard warning. If I'm driving down that highway and I'm looking at my Apple Maps and it says go another three miles and I look up and I see that sign, what does that sign do for me? Stop, okay, it gets my attention, doesn't it? What else does it do for me? I'm sorry? It might irritate me. I know it'll irritate me, especially if it's my typical running a little bit behind schedule. First of all, it's going to get my attention, right? Got the good blaze orange going. Second of all, it's going to make me stop what I'm doing, we hope, right? Third of all, it's going to make me change my direction. And of course, I mentioned Apple Maps, and it's not so good with current events. So if it says keep going and I have no other way to get there, I might switch to Google Maps or Waze. They do a better job, but that's, that's no charge for that. What about that sign? What's the purpose of that sign? It'll either give you some direction or it'll affirm your direction, right? If I'm headed towards Disney and I'm just not quite sure, and, and that sign appears, it's going to either give me a direction in case I'm clueless or it will affirm my direction if I'm already knowing that I'm going in the right way. What is the difference between those two signs? Oh, well, then you need to move. <laughs> oh, I see. It's the color. The, the top one says three and a half miles, and the bottom one says one mile. So the difference, the difference is not two and a half miles. The difference is, and the clicker's not working again. Oh, no. That's going to be a bummer. Then go teach the old-fashioned way. Bill had just fixed that right before he went off to class. OK. Good thing I printed the backups, eh? Give your direction. Affirm your direction. There are little kids in your car, and you're going to Disney, and they're old enough to see three and a half becomes one and a half. They get excited, right? And I get excited because for a little bit of time, I'm not going to hear, are we there yet? Until you get in the line for the parking lot, and then the, are you there yet, comes back again. Okay, this is really going to be interesting because I've got a picture of Charlton Heston here that you're going to miss. Verse 8 says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Now, I just gave the answer away. Who were Janus and Jambres? Good answer. They, those names do not appear anywhere else in Scripture. And the only hint that we have, it says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Now, Jewish historians, this is not scripture, 
Jewish historians say those are the names of the magicians in Pharaoh's court. And so they opposed Moses. Moses came up and he said, let my people go. And what did Moses do first round? <clears throat> Charlton Heston dropped his rifle, right? <clears throat> he dropped his staff, sure, and the staff became a snake. What did Janice and Jambres do? And there's Bill. SOS, Bill, it doesn't work again. The battery says it's fully charged. <laughs> okay. First came the snakes, then came the water to blood, then came the frogs. Now, if they were really public servants, you know, Moses said the frogs come up out of the ground, and Janice and Jabbers did the same thing. If they were public servants, they would have put the frogs back, right? Sir, you'll keep watching. Have a seat. Come on in, the water's fine. Ooh. This is interesting. Okay, they don't match again. Weird, weird, weird. Can't help that. That's right, he can't help that one. I'm just going to talk until we get back to that particular slide. We're on Janice and Jabbers. Where are we? bridge out. We'll come to that. Okay. They went through the snakes, they went through the blood, they went through the frogs, and then Moses turned the dust into the gnats. And what did Janice and Jamber say? This is the finger of God. They could not produce life. They could extract the frogs out of the water, but they didn't produce living frogs out of dead ones. Okay, so just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind, and disqualified regarding the faith. Now, disqualified regarding the faith is an interesting verse because the Bible says that God is able to save to the uttermost. This is talking about men who have departed from the faith. This comes from 1 Timothy. Now, the Spirit speaks expressly in the later times. We're in the latter days. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. One of the lists that we're going to see one of the bullets on the list is having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Consciences seared, King James says, as if by a hot iron. My brother and I used to wrestle all the time, and I knew how to end. He was huge, and I always knew how to end the fight. I would somehow bump him in the nose. It would immediately start bleeding, and I would win. And then he became a freshman in high school and went out for football. And the first time he got hit helmet to helmet, his nose started bleeding. And the coach sent him to the doctor to get his nose cauterized. Well, he came home and picked the fight with me. And I hit him in the nose once, and nothing happened. And I hit him in the nose twice, and nothing happened. And then he proceeded to beat the tar out of me. 
his nose was seared by a hot iron. It didn't bleed anymore. That's what that verse means, conscience seared by a hot iron. It's, it's, it's just not, it's, it's not alive anymore, okay? So then, verse 9, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was those two men, Janus and Jambres. They will not get very far. My first pastor told the story of a man who worked for the Justice Department, and his job was to track down counterfeiters. And somebody said to him, I bet you study those counterfeiters all the time. He said, not one minute. He said, I study the real thing, and when I do, the counterfeit jumps right out. So we're going to come down to a verse, in fact, it's probably one of the last, if not the last verse in, in chapter 3, that says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Study the real thing. Last week we, we learned, study the show thyself approved unto God, or do your best to show yourself approved unto God. And so, verse 13, we're going to come back to the, the, the laundry list here, just following the script here. Verse 13 says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, avoid such people. Now, I'm just going to try to figure this thing out here. I'm going to give up on this today. So what's the problem with uh, studying that list. You see up there, good news, bad news with studying this list. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, so it's good to study the list, right? What's the bad news in studying this list? And maybe the back click might help me. What's the bad news in studying this list? See that Eeyore up there? If I spent this next hour working on every one of those bullets, think about it. You're going to go home saying, oh, me, oh, my. But the book of Revelation starts off and says, blessed or happy to those who study and, and hear the words of this prophecy. So the imperative, boy, I'm really having trouble following this thing along. Let's look at the, the, the red letters. Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, individualistic. The word, that, the highfalutin word that we use is hedonistic. If you want to take that secular word and make it religious, it would be secular humanism. I'm the center of the universe. I don't need to listen to my parents that one bullet down there a little bit. I don't, who are you to tell me? How could it be bad if it feels so good? That's what Paul was trying to get across to, Th to Timothy. Now look at that bottom left, heartless. Now, again, if, if this thing were behaving, uh, King James uses the phrase without natural affection. ESV uses the word heartless. But when you go back to the Greek, what it's saying is you've lost your love for your kindred. The family is falling apart. Now that means several things. 
the family is falling apart, which means the institute of marriage is disappearing. Uh, the definition of fiancé, now you guys were fiancés, right? And you had the right definition. You had a ring, you had a date, you had a purpose, and you got her done. Congratulations, I wish you many years of health and happiness. In the world today, the definition of fiancé is we're living together and we're thinking about, well, maybe we're not really thinking about a date or a ring, but it gives us a, a certain degree of legitimacy. The other issue of the family falling apart is no longer is one spouse satisfied with the other spouse. Now, we're going to get to a verse that talks about the, the men going into the households of other women. And uh, even a generation ago, it was just the man that was the aggressor. Now it's getting different. It's getting different. The women have become aggressors as well. We are certainly in the last times. So, verse 6. That's where we are right now. For among them are those who creep in the households and capture weak women. Well, that was written at the time where the men were the aggressors, and now people are coming and capturing weak men. Nancy, Nancy Reagan said, just say no. That, the context of that was drugs. What did Joseph do with Mrs. Potiphar? We, we studied that verse last week, didn't we? Flee ye youthful lusts. Okay. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. On Facebook, I'm in, uh, there are two groups that I'm thinking about. The one is God in Science, and the other one is Bible Digs. And the good news is that it, it, it's a, there, there are Christians that are taking archaeology and applying it and creating, or not creating, but validating the truth of Scripture. But there are people that are in those same digs, and they'll find this thing. And I'll just take a great example, the Dead Sea Scrolls. These are not the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, God's not, God's not in those things. People are studying and studying and learning, but they're not arriving at the truth. These are our end times. Now, verse 5b says, avoid such people. What's the problem with that verse? Avoid, well, not the problem, but the hard part of that verse. What if one of those people is me? What was one of the reasons, one of the purposes of the signs of the times? The bridge is out. What are you supposed to do? Change direction. So we have this laundry list up there. And one of the problems is, what if I'm on that list? I can't avoid me. I mean, I'm not schizophrenic. I have to change direction. And if things were behaving, I've got a picture of Pogo. Who remembers comic strip Pogo? You remembered Paoli. <laughs> Pogo was a comic strip back in the 70s. And while it was uh, political satire, it was attend, uh, intended to get our attention about the environment. And the key phrase from Pogo is, we have met the enemy, and he is us. We have met the enemy, and he is us. All right. 
So the next imperative, we just finished imperative number one, recognize the, the, uh, the age that we're in. Next imperative is verse 14. Continue in what you have learned. Now, what had Timothy learned? There are two topics I'm looking for. What had Timothy learned? It's right there. And I even gave the first answer just then. now what did Timothy learn so far two things the topic and the teacher in terms of the topic and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings now think of how precious that was in his time no less precious in our time, but not quite as fantastic. In their times, they didn't have 15 Bibles, right? I've got one on my phone. I've got one on that bench. I've got one in the car. I've got one on my book. I've got a half a dozen on my bookshelf. How many did they have? <laughs> not even one. They didn't have the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they just had pieces but they had the sacred writings. Now look at that other verse, from childhood. And I talked about Lois and Eunice, and we'll come back when we talk about the teachers. And now from childhood, that was the first teacher. And here's the second teacher, knowing from whom you learned it, Lois, Eunice, and Paul. And we jumped over some verses about Paul who was talking about the, the things that he endured. And he gives a, an interesting statement in there. We're going to cover it more in chapter 4, where he talks about, you will suffer if you live for Jesus. Now, Job said, man is born to trouble. Sure, sure, sparks go upward, but that's man in general. If you want the devil to leave you alone, what should you do? Nothing, perfect answer. If you want the devil to leave you alone, just put your engine on idle and do nothing, and the devil's got you right where he wants you. Now, if you want to coast into heaven, you know, be my guest. But I would love, when I go before that judgment seat of Christ, now you have to have the right motivation, because Matthew, he says, you've already received your reward. If we're living for Jesus with the motivation of love for Jesus, we each have an opportunity for one of five crowns. And one of them is going to be mentioned in chapter 4. So what did Timothy learn? He learned the topic, the sacred writings, and he learned the lifestyle. Certain things are caught more than taught. And last week I asked the question, when we had the last will and testament up there, I asked the question, what's more valuable, the last words or the life lived? And the answer was easy. It was the life lived. There was Lois. There was Eunice. Dr. Dobson one time asked a bunch of kids, 
what's the definition of a, definition of a grandmother? And lot, lots of humorous uh, responses. You could look the thing up. But one of them was, a mother that has more time for me. Because, you know, mom is fixing dinner, and mom is doing that, and mom, and I'm not saying grandmom doesn't help. But I will tell you that I somehow find more time as a grandpa to share things than I did as a dad. Shame on me. So if you're the dad and not the granddad, you have an opportunity to fix that, because they don't stay small for long. All right? What an opportunity Lois and Eunice had to influence not just Timothy, but influence generation after generation to where we are today. As for you, here's the imperative, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And I put the King James up there because we sing a song with those words, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And this brings us to the last verse, and I'm way, way, way early because of all the snafus. All scripture is breathed out by God. So first of all, draw your attention to that word, all. Well, Jonas isn't real, so we'll just rip that thing out. And all those genealogies, they don't make any sense, so we'll just rip those out. And you can't take that literally, so we'll just rip that out. Now, there are some things that are much more fun to read than other things. I will tell you, I'd rather, as an example, I'd rather read about the escapades of, of David in battle than I would about the sacrifices in Leviticus. I'm just going to be honest. I'd rather read about the things that Jesus does in the following chapters rather than the genealogies in the first chapters. But does that mean that I can ignore those things? Absolutely not. All scripture is breathed out by God. Peter said to us that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. I use those words because that's how I can remember. D I carry a Schofield Bible, 1917 version of the Schofield Bible. And there was a pastor, Nottingham Church, he would say, open your Bibles to Hezekiah. Well, there's no such thing as Hezekiah. Hezekiah chapter 7, he says it's on page 926. If you've got a different kind of Bible, it's on a different page. That Bible was edited by Dr. D.R., Dr. C.I. Schofield. So doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. For doctrine, what is right? For reproof, what is not right? For correction, get right. And for instruction, stay right. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be found perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. That the man of God, now, there's an anthropos, that means person, not male. Anthropos means human being. Now, the context of Timothy is 
he's supposed to set up the church. Remember, we studied 1 Timothy, and we said that the theme of there was how to do church. He was sent as an elder. He was sent there to appoint elders. He was sent there to teach the next generation. And so you could say, for a pastor or an elder, the Bible says an elder should be apt to teach. The Bible says to be in season and out of season. What's their number one piece of equipment? See the word equipped up there. What's the number one piece of equipment? The word of God. That's exactly right. And believe it or not, that's the last slide. I'm 13 minutes early for all this bumping around. Uh, Greg Laurie coined that phrase, but I've got B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth, right inside my scripture. You know, you turn the page, and you've got a presentation page, and then you see Holy Bible. Right underneath Holy Bible, I've got written basic instructions before leaving earth. So, today was all chopped up. We can go back and start over again. We can do questions or answers. Or I can start talking about chapter 4 and we can do Titus the following week. What would you rather do? You're the teacher, John. Okay. Let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4, keep in mind this is my King James, you're just going to have to put up with me. Chapter 4 starts off with, I charge you. That's a military word. And when the general says charge, what are you supposed to do? Charge, you're supposed to charge. And uh, nobody goes to the sports events anymore, but here's, charge. That means go for it. I think I mentioned this several weeks ago. There was only one time I used the word charge in my ministry. I got a hold of a youth leader that was trying to teach temperance to a youth group along with experimentation. And I said, first of all, what you're doing is illegal because in Pennsylvania, the age is 21 and nobody in the group is 21. I said, second of all, if one of those kids gets hurt or addicted, or killed, I charge you with that. Whether he heeded me or not, I don't know. That's the one and only time I use the word charge, so it's a pretty serious word. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing and in his kingdom, preach the word, not preach about the word, not use it as a springboard into talking about something else, but preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Now, if, you, if that last part wasn't in there, I could sit there and I can beat on people and beat on people and go back to that laundry list where I said everybody would be miserable if the only thing I did was talk about lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self, lovers of money, truth breakers, disobedient to parents, etc., etc. It says with long suffering. There's a verse in Isaiah, I think it's in chapter 29, that says line upon line, 
precept upon precept. I come into my notes from when I came through these things last time, which is about 12 years ago, and I look at that stuff and I say to myself, did I know that? It fades. There's a difference between knowing and remembering. He says, with all long-suffering and doctrine. What is right, what's not right, get right, stay right. My first pastor had terrible arthritis, and he would point, and that finger would point at everybody all at the same time, because it would go like this. And he would talk about sin A, and because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit, I'd be convicted of sin Z. Because what he was preaching was the word with its power and its truth. And he didn't play any games. Yet he was very, he was such a lover. He was saved when he was 35 years old. Born in 1910, so that I'll tell you where he was during the Great Depression. He ran the rails. He worked in CCC. He says once he was saved, he had the Bible on one knee and the dictionary on the other. He had a Lois in his life, but he didn't pay any mind to her until he was in his 30s. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. You say, well, John, you're a Sunday school. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent. One of those words was disobedient to parents. Now, go to a supermarket. The only supermarket I go to is BB, so. You go to a supermarket, and typically in the checkout line, you see some kid climbing up the racks. And what does the mother do? If the kid's going for candy bar, what are you going to say, Judy? Go ahead. Depends on the mother. <laughs> or you're looking at safety. I'm going a totally different way. <laughs> well, sure. Maybe you get the mother, oh, Johnny, and she gets the handy bar and just adds it to the, the little conveyor to buy it for them, okay? What would have happened when you were the kid and climbed that rack? <laughs> you would have some instant feedback and everybody in the store would want to cheer, as opposed to calling child services. So how that relates to this, I'd be driving down the road or in, into a restaurant or something, and I'd see somebody with half the head shaved and the other half dyed purple. And I'd say, what do you think about that family relationship? And my son John said, they lost it years ago. I don't think Timothy shaved half his head and dyed the other half purple because he had a Lois and he had a Eunice. And you might be the Lois of today. And so you get to preach by word 
and by action. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, keep in mind this context is talking to a, a, a preacher, but I'm talking to parents and grandparents. There comes a time, and I'll just speak for myself, my dad went from my hero to zero, and now I wish I had half the wisdom that he had. Because I hit that rut where I was not willing to accept sound doctrine back to these words. My dad was a buffoon. And then I grew up. Pastor Vernon would say, too soon old, too late smart. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Saul's, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, had a problem because 10 of those tribes didn't want to pay their taxes. And so they came to Rehoboam, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the reason I know them is Rehoboam, the R-E means reject, he was rejected. Rehoboam goes to the elders and says, so what should I do? And the elders said, you know, your dad was pretty tough on taxes, why don't you just cut them a break? He was a Republican. He went to the younger guys who were Democrats and they said, you should tell them that your dad whipped them with whips and I'm going to whip you with scorpions. That guy, Rehoboam, would not accept sound doctrine, and he paid the price. The nation was divided. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Peter wrote, he said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Peter saw the transfiguration. Peter met the risen Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We have not followed cunningly devised fables. The Holy Scriptures were written, he says, as, as holy man of God spake, inspired by the Holy Spirit. All, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. But watch out in all things. Endure afflictions. You know, some people would like to think that before Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to have a great revival. I don't see that in Scripture. The Bible tells us that in the, in the late, later days, perilous times will come. But does that mean we're each an Eeyore? No. We just got done studying 2 Thessalonians. And the theme of 2 Thessalonians was the people thought they missed the rapture. And the persecution was there. And Paul comes and he says, no, 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 you didn't miss the rapture. And guess what? We should look forward to it. We should rejoice in our sufferings. The Bible tells us in, the, in the, one of his final verses was, be thankful in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tell Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar says, bow or you're going to get thrown into the fires. Okay, you hit the one key word, and the other key word was able. We are not careful to answer in these matters, O oh, oh God. Our God is able to deliver us. But if not, we will not bow down. They were looking for the blessed hope. 
What did Nebuchadnezzar see the next day? I'm sorry? God was able and he did. What did Nebuchadnezzar see? Watch my fingers. He said, lo, I see four. And the one, the likeness of the Son of Man. We're going to be studying Vacation Bible School, the Theophanies. And I don't know what class they're going to have me teach. If it's a lower class, I won't be using the word theophany. But I'd be glad to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going to finish it on verses 7 and 8, and then next week we're going to start with Titus. I have fought a good fight. On Vacation Bible School, we studied the life of Paul. Can you imagine that study? That was a fun study. The life of Paul started off persecuting Christians, and he says in 2 Timothy, he said, I did all things with a good conscience. He thought he was doing God a favor. He went from killing Christians and causing them to blaspheme till finally he lost his head for Christ. He said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. One of the five crowns. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous God, judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all those who got their head chopped off? To all those who love his appearing. I'm blessed to be born into this window of geography and history where I can teach the word, I can live the word, we can assemble as Christians without any reciprocity. And I'd like to think that either Jesus will come back or I'm going to meet him without a martyrdom. But that doesn't make me ineligible for the crown of righteousness because we should be looking for that blessed hope. And that's going to be in Titus where we're going. The blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior. 945.